In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Today we celebrate the feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Society of Jesus, also known as the Jesuits. Uh, St. Ignatius was one of the, the many great saints that God raised up in a very critical period in the, in the history of the Church, which was that of the, the Protestant Reformation. The Church was facing uh, one of the greatest challenges that she had ever had to face, and so God met that challenge by, uh, by inspiring holy men and holy women to, uh, to proclaim the true faith uh, with their lives, with their works, and, and with their inspired word. And uh, Saint Ignatius is um, um, like like many of the saints. Actually, he was uh, he's one of those saints who wasn't uh, exactly uh, a holy child. Um, he uh, uh, he had quite a conversion in his life, and so he's one of those saints that many of us can 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 relate to because uh, we we see a very profound work of conversion going on in him, and we can we can uh, see a, an image there of ourselves. Um, and would hope that there's a profound work of conversion going on in, in our lives too, right? Um, he was born in, uh, in the year 1491 of a noble Spanish family, and his baptismal name was Inigo. And um, he was raised in, in courtly, kind of chivalric ideals, but, uh, but without the devout underpinning that you find under true chivalry, right? And uh, um, in fact, he was given over more to... Uh, learning how to fight and such things. And, and so at, at the age of 25, he enlisted as a soldier under uh, a duke who was a, a kinsman of his, and he engaged in the, in the war, uh, the border war against the French in the region of, of Castile and, and Navarre. And uh, his life took a very serious turn during the, the battle that took place at the, the fortress of Pamplona, which is the capital of Navarre. It's the place where Opus Dei currently has one of their main, uh, uh, one of their main uh, universities. Uh, that one and the other one is in Rome. Um, and uh, that's where Father Carapi studied, by the way. He was at the University of Navarre in Pamplona. And uh, what happened at this battle? Well, he, uh, he put up a pretty courageous fight, but then at a certain point he took a cannonball in the leg and it shattered the bone. Uh, it was a, a horrible, horrible wound. And, um, and so he was taken off to his father's castle, which is about 50 miles away, in order to recover. And of course, they didn't have the kind of uh, you know, modern medical techniques we have today. And so they, they wound up uh, uh, breaking the, the leg again and then resetting it. And then at one point, they had to saw off part of the bone without any anesthesia. Um, um, must have been a horrible experience, right? And yet he didn't convert immediately. Uh, actually, it still took some time. Um, as he recovered there in the castle, he he had time to he had uh, time on his hands, right? And so uh, um, he was a man who, who used to love books, in particular popular romances, um, uh, stories of a worldly glory. And so he asked his sister um, to to bring him uh, one of his favorite books. And thanks be to God uh, for him and for the rest of the church. Uh, they didn't have any worldly books in the house. Um, all they had was a, a collection of lives of the saints and a life of our Lord. Uh, and so he contented himself with these devout books. And um, 
And slowly, bit by bit, as he read these devout works, uh, his conversion took place. And um, uh, if you read the Divine Office this morning, you'll remember that reading uh, where it explains what was going on in his mind during this period, where uh, um, he would sometimes he would think about uh, worldly things, worldly glory, the, the things he'd loved in the past, and it would first fill him with a with a great uh, with a great happiness, a great spirit of pleasure. But then, after he uh, after the the pleasure subsided, he he felt more empty and more uh, and more drained than he had been before. Whereas when he reflected on the, the life of Christ and the life of the saints, uh, it produced a, a mysterious kind of pleasure, uh, a kind of peace deeper than, than worldly pleasure, which, uh, which didn't subside after he was done reading them. Um, and in fact, later on, uh, he, he used this as one of the principles for, for discerning spirits in his famous work, The, the Spiritual Exercises, right? because uh, the things of God leave us with a, a lasting, authentic peace, whereas the things of the world give pleasure only for a moment, and then in the end, leave us hollow and empty, uh, high and dry, as they say. Right? And so he had this, uh, this slow conversion, and uh, he would start to ask himself questions like, uh, well, what, were, what would happen if I were to, to do the things that St. Francis did, or St. Dominic, right? these great founders of religious orders? And, and uh, eventually he wound up doing just that, right? Um, he, uh, when he was recovered a bit, he, he decided to take a pilgrimage to a famous Spanish shrine, a uh, very beautiful one, uh, called Our Lady of Montserrat. And, um, and there he had another, uh, another life-turning event. He, uh, as he was approaching the shrine, he met a, uh, a Moor, a Muslim man, because parts of Spain were occupied by the Muslims at that time, right? And, uh, and this man was a, a horseman. He was traveling along, and, and they engaged in conversation. And at one point, this, uh, this Muslim started blaspheming the Blessed Virgin, uh, saying horrible things about Our Lady. And here we can catch a, a glimpse of uh, how the, the conversion of St. Ignatius was still uh, kind of only halfway, because uh, what happened, his, his first instinct was to, to want to kill the man. <laughs> um, you know, that's something St. Francis and St. Dominic would never have done, right? Um, but he, uh, he kind of left it up to God. And he, uh, what did he do? As the, as the Muslim man went off on his horse, he decided to, to let his own pony go its way. And uh, he would take this as a sign from God, depending on where the pony went. If the pony followed the Muslim, he would go after the Muslim and, and engage him and, and probably kill him. If, on the other hand, the pony took the other, because they were at a crossroads, if it took the other road toward the, toward the shrine, he would continue his pilgrimage. And once again, thanks be to God, uh, providence kicked in. And... Uh, um, the, the, the pony very wisely went off toward the shrine, and he followed suit. Um, and, who, and once again, our history, our Catholic history, would be very different, right? If uh, if that pony had had a, a mind of its own, okay, God can speak. You know, he can speak through the ass of Balaam, right, in the Old Testament. He, um, and so uh, he made a very good confession there at the shrine, Our Lady of Montserrat, and began to dedicate himself to to prayer and to. Um, and to, to Christian virtue. He went off and he studied, um, first at uh, uh, the University of Salamanca, then at the University of Paris. And uh, while he was in Paris, another pivotal event took place. Uh, he and, and six of his companions um, had an inspiration to 
uh, to kind of band together and to take a, a vow of perpetual chastity. And they did this at the famous little church of the Sacred Heart, Montmartre, uh, in Paris in, in the year 1534. I shouldn't say that when I was about 16, I visited this church and I had absolutely no idea what the significance of it was. And I remember I took a photo of the crucifix and that was it. So if I were to go back today, I'd say some prayers to St. Ignatius. Um, all right. And by the way, one of these six companions was uh, uh, another great saint, St. Francis Xavier, right, the apostle to the, to the East. And, uh, and from this initial group of, six companion, of seven companions, um, we find, uh, the, we find the, the birth, shall we say, of the, of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. Okay. Um, and this has proven to be one of the most important uh, religious uh, uh, congregations in the history of the Church. Um, and interestingly enough, they're, they're, they're often regarded as, as, uh, as soldiers, uh, soldiers of Christ, right? Um, and uh, I say interestingly enough because you can see how God even used the the, the talents and the experience and and, uh, and the character of Saint, Igno of Saint Ignatius in his youth. Uh, he sanctified it and, and turned it into something for his own glory, right? Um, and these were soldiers, of course, who who didn't go off trying to to kill Muslims with their sword. These were soldiers of a different kind uh, because they were fighting a very different kind of war. Um, like St. Francis, St. Ignatius recognized that he had to serve uh, not just some worldly duke, but, uh, but the king of kings and the lord of lords, uh, who was a king of love. And consequently, the, you know, the enemies that he had to fight were different, and the weapons that he had to use, the tactics, were different. Um, St. Paul tells us in one of his letters that uh, our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the principalities and the powers of this present darkness. What does he mean? It means the presence of evil in this world. Right? Our real enemies are the, uh, are the devil and the other fallen angels uh, who tempt us at every moment, try to get us to, to lose our souls. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, there are, there are the vices, because the, the human heart is actually is so affected by original sin that we're capable of, of sinning even without the direct influence of the devil and his minions. Okay, and our... Um, our enemies are not flesh and blood. In other words, um, you know, uh, they're not people as such. It's, it's true that there are many people out there, including people in very prominent places who, uh, with a lot of power and a lot of money, who are servants of the devil, people who do his work, um, people who are fighting on his side. And if we're not careful, we could become, them, become part of their member too, right? There but for the grace of God go I. Um, but the fact is, you know, they're not the enemies in the, in the strict sense. In part because they can all be converted, right? God didn't make um, good people and evil people. God made all of us after his own image, and he's good. But he gives each of us the ability to, to do good um, with his grace, or the, and, and, and of course we also have the ability with our free will to do evil. And so it's our choice. But sometimes even the biggest enemies of God wind up later on converting and being his friends. And, you know, and we could be in for a rude surprise on the Day of Judgment if the person we think is the enemy today winds up converting, becoming very holy, and then we fall into sin, and oh, oh boy, you know, um, we could switch sides, you know, uh, kind of like Benedict Arnold, at any rate. Um, and so we have to remember that, uh, that you know, no matter how evil a particular person might be at a given moment, you know, that, that person is, is not ultimately the enemy, right? The enemy is evil itself, and of course the fallen angels who are fixed in their evil and who will never convert. Um, 
and so uh, and that's that's an important lesson. Uh, by the way, the uh, the Jesuits, uh, you know, as as true soldiers of Christ uh, in different periods of their history, they they were very hated and feared by the the human enemies of the church, right? And, uh, um, and one of the reasons for this is that uh, for 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 centuries they were considered to be sort of the the right arm of the Holy Father. Um, actually, many of the the Jesuits um, uh, began taking a, a, an extra vow, a vow of obedience to the Pope. Uh, a very beautiful vow, isn't it? Um, and uh, and uh, consequently, they, it, uh, you know, this was a way of expressing their, their desire to be united with the, the Vicar of Christ. And, um, um, and for this reason, actually, in the, the great political turmoil that has upset basically every country in, in Europe in the, in the past few centuries, uh, many of the, the enemies of the church have, have regarded the Jesuits as being their greatest enemy. And one of the first actions they would often do is kick the Jesuits out of the country, right? At any rate, uh, and, um, and uh, if the Jesuits aren't quite as feared today, it's perhaps because they don't have the same fervor anymore in, uh, in living out that vow of obedience to the Pope, right? Uh, um, and so, uh, uh, Let's pray to St. Ignatius that, uh, that he would bless his sons, the, the Society of Jesus, and uh, they would have the grace to be fervent soldiers in the, in the army of Christ, uh, fighting with the, the spiritual weapons of, uh, of grace, virtue, the sacraments, the truth, <coughs> fighting on the side of the Holy Father, who is uh, the, the guardian of, of truth in the Church. And, uh, and let's ask St. Ignatius to pray for us, that we might always be faithful to Christ, and that uh, we might... Uh, win many battles for love of him. Mm -hmm.